Bibles to the Gospel of Mark, and we'll read together from chapter 14, from verse 66 of chapter 14 of Mark's Gospel, through to the end of the passage. It is the account of Peter's denial and disowning of his master, the Lord Jesus, and as such is a very familiar passage indeed. While Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came by. When she saw Peter warming himself, she looked closely at him. You also were with that Nazarene Jesus, she said, but he denied it. I don't know or understand what you're talking about, he said, and went out into the entryway. When the servant girl saw him there, she said again to those standing around, This fellow is one of them. Again, he denied it. After a little while, those standing near said to Peter, Surely you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. He began to call down curses on himself, and he swore to them, I don't know this man you're talking about. Immediately, the rooster crowed the second time. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows twice, you will disown me three times. And he broke down and wept. The Lord will bless to our understanding this reading of his own word. Now we are coming this evening for the final time in our series of studies through this chapter of Mark's gospel to the very last incident recorded for us in these great verses. And I have to say to you at once that this particular incident has been the subject of very many sermons across the years by pastors and preachers as they have looked at it as a pattern of the denial of Jesus that any one of us is capable of. And indeed, one of our prayers this evening from the lips of our elder reminded us that it is not Peter in a sense that we are studying together this evening. It is anyone and every one of us who have professed faith in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what is certain is that Scripture never blushes to expose the faults and the failures, even of its very greatest and most outstanding characters. And so, as in early episodes, we see in this incident Peter appearing in a very humbling light indeed. In fact, we might say of this passage that he is experiencing the most desolating of the many lapses in Peter's life. And as we will see in this incident, as we explore it together, there are a number of powerful and practical lessons inevitably that must jump out of this passage and be applied to our own hearts and lives. But as we begin to look at it, I want you to notice particularly 
as we explore the lineaments of this incident, that we see Jesus in his ministry as prophet and teacher of his people. We need to be reminded tonight that he occupies many offices. He is the high priest of our profession, and we are indebted to his continued intercession for us. But in this passage especially, I believe we see his ministry as prophet and as king to his people, the one who draws near them and counsels them concerning their danger and their condition of heart. And oh, if we would only listen to what that great counselor says to us, how many falls we would avoid, how many situations that we fall into we would have been able to escape from and to glorify God in them instead of bringing shame so often upon his name. Well, it is then the prophetic and the counseling ministry of Jesus that we see so clearly, I believe, in these verses as we study them together tonight. And the subject, very simply, might be summarized as in the sermon heading, Here is a man who has been forewarned, but who sadly has not been forearmed. And so I want to share with you three things. There is, first of all, the warnings that Peter disregarded. And secondly, there is the willfulness that Peter displayed. And thirdly, there is the witness that Peter continues to demonstrate to each one of us. Now, first of all, as we come to this passage, you notice there are the warnings that Peter disregarded. One of the most obvious and indeed the outstanding lessons, I think, of this incident and this passage lies directly here. And I want to ask you this evening as we begin to approach it in this light, are you this evening disregarding some warning that God, by his word and spirit, has given to you? Are you now, as you sit in this service, disregarding such a warning? This indeed, for some of us, might be the most urgent question facing us in our Christian lives. What do we do with divine warnings? Do we gloss over them? When we're reading the page of the Word of God and something there speaks to us, like a burning fire that arrests us and we cannot get beyond it in our reading, do we gloss over it? As we listen to a sermon as Scripture is expounded, perhaps from this pulpit or as we're listening to an exposition on the radio, do we, as it were, put our hands over the face of the Bible and cover up what God is saying to us? What do we do with the warnings that God in grace and mercy so often addresses to us? And you see, we need to see what Peter did with the warnings that God in his mercy had given to him. And there are two warnings, I believe, that Jesus had given to Peter in particular that could have saved him out of this whole situation so that every step downward for Peter could have been a step upward for him. 
and all the disgrace that he brought on the name of the Savior whom he loved and served could instead have been honor that redounded to the glory of the Lord Jesus if only Peter had not disregarded the warnings that were given to him. Well, the first of these warnings is surely, as we saw earlier in the chapter, when Jesus, you recall, spoke to all the disciples. He said, I will smite the shepherd, quoting the action of God as recorded in the book of Zechariah, I will smite the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. And Jesus, you recall, said to them all, you will all leave me and you will flee this night. And especially as we saw as we studied that passage, you recall from another gospel, Jesus had said of Peter, I have prayed in particular for you, Peter, that your faith in this hour of trial will not fail. Now you would have expected Peter to have been grateful for this warning, wouldn't you? To begin to arm himself against what he knew was inevitably coming to the Lord Jesus. It was no surprise that Jesus would be delivered into the hands of his enemies. But you find instead that he dismissed this warning with a thoughtless affirmation of his own self-sufficiency. Though all forsake you, he said to his Lord, I will not, even though I have to go to prison and to death, you can count on me. And he was arrogantly suggesting that he knew himself better than the Lord Jesus Christ knew him. Now, beloved, this evening we need to take that warning of Jesus to our own heart. The Lord Jesus is continually, I believe, giving us these kind of warnings. He's saying to us by his word and spirit, you are such and such a person and these are the areas of weakness where you are most prone to temptation in your Christian life. These are the points at which you are most likely to go astray. And you very well know how the Holy Spirit again and again has put his finger, as it were, on those areas of your life where you are prone to deny your Lord, where you are prone to disown him. And it's foolish for us to think that we can simply avoid and evade these snares that Satan has laid in our way by disregarding the warning of Jesus. What a foolish attitude to take, but we take it constantly. Lord, I'm all right. I can cope perfectly well by myself. Whereas if we only saw ourselves, we are miserable wretches at this point. And God alone is omniscient. And he knows precisely those areas where we are in danger of disgracing the Lord whom we love and serve. And on that basis, he gives to us his warnings and his prohibitions. But you remember the second warning that came to Peter was in the upper room. And I think sometimes we gloss over this, don't we? In that great upper room discourse in John 13, from verse 16 onwards, those lovely words of the Lord Jesus. You come to verse 36 in John 13 where Peter has said to Jesus, 
Lord, where are you going? Longing to follow the Lord Jesus. And immediately Jesus responds, you remember, to Peter by saying, Where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow me afterwards. Now the point is simply this, and we don't always make the connection when we read of the denial of Peter. We read that he followed Jesus afar off at a distance. And oh, how the preachers love that text. The danger of following Jesus at a distance, they say. That was one of the ways in which Peter was led on to deny his Lord. But the point is this, that Peter should never have been following Jesus at that point at all. You cannot follow me now, Jesus had said to Peter, but you will follow me afterwards. And instead of listening to that warning that Jesus had given him, not to keep company with him in the hour of his trial, for Jesus had to tread the winepress of God's wrath alone, Peter in that passage in John 13 begins to remonstrate with his Lord and say to him, Why can't I follow you? I will go with you to prison and even to death. And Jesus has to caution him before the cock crows twice. You will have denied me three times. And Peter has said, Lord, You can count on me. I'm ready for anything. Now, I wonder if you see what I'm saying to you this evening. There are two things, aren't there, that arise out of these two warnings that Jesus had given to this man that are so salutary for us. He had not really learned the lesson of submission to his Lord and Master. You look at him there in the upper room in John 13, where Jesus had rebuked him when he refused to have his feet washed. And you would have thought that Peter had learned submission when he said to Jesus, Then, Lord, don't wash just my feet, but my head and my hands as well. But he was still acting on his own estimate of himself. He was still determined, as we see in this incident, to go in the direction that Jesus had forbidden him to go in. And there is a lack of submission to his Lord in this man's life. And I want to tell you tonight that this is still the problem, isn't it, in many of our lives. We're so like this man. We make the same mistake Jesus says to us. Leave the world and follow me And we hanker after it. We're not in submission to the Lord in that area, so often of compromise with the world. Sometimes when we're counseled by others in a Christian church or fellowship, and we hear things we'd rather not hear, things about our character, our weaknesses, and gently and lovingly but firmly, the oversight of the church has spoken to us about these things in our lives. But we prefer not to be in submission, not just to the oversight, but to the Lord, whose representatives those elders or deacons really are. And he had not learned, and we so often have not learned, the lesson of submission. But the second thing that Peter had 
failed, you notice, to learn in these warnings that Jesus gave to him was what his past history should have taught him. You see, all these experiences that Peter had gone through, you remember at Caesarea Philippi when Jesus had rebuked him and called him Satan, or when he was on the Mount of Transfiguration and had spoken those foolish and impetuous words, Lord, let always remain here. Or when again in the upper room Jesus had wanted to wash his feet and he had remonstrated with his Lord again and said, never will you wash my feet. All of these things should have taught this man something about his character. And he should have been taught that the mistakes he made once, he was making a second time and a third time and a fourth time and a fifth time. He hadn't really changed at all. And he was not able to learn that past history so often reveals a man's character, doesn't it? And so you see, before we leave this section of our study, what it says to me tonight and what it says to you is, do I know myself in the service of my Lord and Master? Have I taken seriously what the Bible says about me? Or do I cover it up with my hands and say, Lord, I'd prefer that it wasn't there? Do I know myself? And the great Puritan maxim comes into its place here. Know thyself. And have I learned from my past history and have I by God's grace begun to accept it. Because you see, it's basically dishonest, beloved, to say, I believe all that the scripture teaches. It is God's infallible word. It is his inerrant counsel for me that will take me all the way from grace to glory. And it's inconsistent to say, having said that, that I won't listen to what God's word says about me. I believe it's Glyn Owen in his exposition of this great passage from Mark 14 who says this of people in the church. Listen, I know many people, he says, who swear that they believe the Bible yet who simply do not do so and who have enough blind spots about themselves to turn the whole world against the Lord. And he's writing about professing Christian people. They are so blind to faults and failures in themselves that they're not taking God's word seriously. They're trifling with God. And oh, my dear friends, this evening, we need to begin where Peter should have begun, by listening to him. But do you notice, secondly, that there is not only the failure of Peter to listen to his Lord's counsel, to the warnings that were given, there is the willfulness that Peter then displayed. And the one thing inevitably follows the other, doesn't it? And Peter had to be brought to the position where he realized that when we don't listen to God's warnings, inevitably we follow a course of willfulness we begin to stray. And that way of straying is always stony. 
It's always rough. It's always cruel. It's always a harrowing experience. And this is precisely what Peter now began to find out because he had failed to know himself. Now the Lord Jesus begins, you see, in his ministry of counseling Peter to let Peter taste the fruits of his own disobedience. He begins, as we see in this incident, to taste what it is to be a broken man because God can do nothing with any of us until he has broken us. Are you a child of God this evening? Am I a child of God? One of the difficult experiences, you know, that we have to learn is simply this, that if he loves us, he will chasten us. There is no son of God that is without chastening or scourging, as the writer to the Hebrews puts it, and he will break our self-will, and he will make us walk that rough and cruel and harrowing road until we've come to realize the importance of the warnings and directives and prohibitions of God's word. I think it's Glyn Owen again who, in dealing with this passage, likens what happens here to standing wheat in a field. And he says as long as there is a glowing field of wheat blowing in the wind, it's no use to anyone. It has to be broken and it has to be thrashed and made useful as food. And then it begins to serve the needs of men. And so it is with us in the spiritual realm. As long as we're erect and cocksure and self-sufficient, God can do nothing with us until we become thrashed and broken down and made usable as bread. Well, then God is going to let Peter fall and fail here to lead him into this position. And there are three things that I want to mention to you about this fall of Peter's. Do you see, first of all, that it was a failure to watch and pray that led him into this willful course of denying his Lord? It's almost inevitably the first place in the Christian life, isn't it? Where we begin to fail and that failure leads to willfulness. The failure that precedes spiritual and moral decline. When we begin to say the place of prayer and watchfulness is no longer important. Now, do you remember when we looked at that incident in the Garden of Gethsemane several Sunday evenings ago, I reminded you of the words of Jesus. When he came and looked at his disciples three times and found them sleeping, what did he say to them? He said to them, watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. Now, so often we've thought of those words of Jesus as his coming to the disciples, seeking their support. But that was a very minor key in our Lord's concern for them. They couldn't really support him in that unique agony as he was bearing there or beginning to bear the wrath of God in his soul? 
What he was saying to them is if only you knew what was before you at this hour, you would watch and you would pray, lest you enter into temptation. And where is this cocksure Simon, this proud, self-sufficient man at this point? He's fast asleep. And you see, this is where so much of our failure as Christian men and women also derives. We need to realize that drowsiness or absence from the place of prayer inevitably leads us into a dangerous state of soul. And it's the precursor to so many other failures and deficiencies in our lives. One commentator on this passage points out that it leads to a landslide on the individual, on the fellowship, on the wider church. Why is the church so weak tonight? Why are there only 20 or 30 people in this second service of the Lord's Day? Beloved, it's not because of the music. It's not because of the preaching. It's not because of this or that. It's because... We lack a living, dynamic fellowship of praying men and women. And oh, if God revives us, the first place in which he revives the soul is in giving us the desire to pray for his blessing to come upon us. Because, you see, when we are drowsy and when we fail in the place of prayer, what we are really saying is that we don't really believe that Satan is abroad. That's what the apostles were saying when they listened three times to Jesus' exhortation, watch and pray. They were saying, in effect, as they let drowsiness overcome them, we don't really believe that Satan is abroad, that he's going to get to us. And we need so much to learn this lesson of Peter's failure to watch and pray. But you notice his second failure in this willfulness was his failure to walk by faith. And this follows in swift succession. Do you see him there in the garden with his Lord? The landslide in Peter's life has already begun. And there in the garden, as Jesus returns for the third time, Peter suddenly wakes up again. And suddenly, the harsh realities of the situation are made aware to him. And he sees the enemies of Jesus and Judas the betrayer. And it all comes together in this man's life. And what is his first resort? His first resort is to draw out his sword and cut off the ear of the high priest's servant. An impulsive action, yes. But what does it tell you about this man? The failure to watch and pray has led to a failure to walk by faith. And this man immediately begins to resort to what is his ultimate strength. And that is simply his physical appearance, his physical bearing his power to strike out physically in defense of his Lord. And when a man is spiritually unprepared and has lost the sense 
of the power of God's presence that comes through prayer, he falls back on what he considers is his strong point. And unlike the Lord Jesus whom we saw comes with majesty and readiness and calmness and peace of heart, to face his enemies. Here is a man who is striking out blindly in the energy of the flesh because he's a man who is no longer walking at this point by faith. And it applies to us, doesn't it, in every level of our lives. How often have you seen a situation within your fellowship or your church or your business or your home life, and instead of dealing with it with a spiritual sensitivity, walking by faith, you've resorted to intrigue to get your own way. You've relied on the arm of the flesh to do it instead of the strength of the Spirit. And you and I have been in danger of losing sight of those spiritual realities that Jesus knew. And instead, we've come to rely upon our own self-sufficiency. But you notice, thirdly, that the last indication of Peter's willfulness follows quickly after the first two. And it's the failure to witness as a disciple of Jesus, the failure to watch and pray, then the failure to walk by faith, and thirdly, the failure to witness as a disciple of Jesus. And there is this man who has said in the presence of the twelve, though all forsake you, yet I will not, even though you go to prison and death, Lord, you can count on me. And where do you see him now? He's there following in the place where he should never have gone, exposing himself to a temptation that his Lord and Master knew he was not strong enough to resist. And in the state of spiritual weakness and physical fatigue and emotional turmoil, this man foolishly thrusts himself into a situation that he could never have coped with. And as the maid comes along and says, you are one of them, he says, I do not know the man. And as others listening to his Galilean speech with its thick overtones say, surely you are one of them, he denies it and brings down even upon himself oaths and curses that he does not know this man, Jesus of Nazareth. And you see at last what depths this man sinks to in his self-will and his self-sufficiency. My dear friends, as we leave this section, let's see for ourselves that here the failure to watch leads to the failure to walk by faith and leads in turn to the failure to witness to the Lord Jesus. And we too have so often compromised the truth of the gospel to save our own skins, 
And we too so often have been ashamed of the Lord Jesus. And you trace it back step by step and you come to the same starting point that Peter came to as he began to think that evening of how he had arrived where he was. And it all took him back through these several steps to his failure to listen to the warnings that Jesus had so clearly and explicitly given to him. And oh, to what heights this man might have arisen. But every step he took instead was a step downwards into the pit. And oh, how desolate and broken his spirit was that evening of his denial of his Lord. It was so much easier for him to part with Jesus than to stand with him. But thirdly, as I draw to a conclusion this evening, you notice that there are not only the warnings that Jesus had given and he had disregarded and the willfulness that that Peter portrayed, but there is Peter's witness to us. Now, as we look at it, I want you again to notice quickly three things with me. I want you to notice that our Lord's warnings are always for our good. You see, thankfully, this story doesn't end in Mark 14, verses 66 to 72. There is an epilogue to this story. Jesus died and rose again according to his promise. And no sooner was Jesus arisen than he called specifically for Peter to be notified of his resurrection. We see this in Mark 16, verse 7. And not only that, he was soon to appear to Peter personally and individually, face to face, as we see in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 5. And if Peter, out of all these experiences, could speak to us now, he would say to us, our Lord's warnings are always for our good. You see, he has good reason to speak to us in warning when he does so. He has good reason when he puts it upon the heart of an elder or deacon of this church to say to someone, we see there is some area of your life where you are in danger. And indeed, you may endanger the fellowship. And the Lord Jesus always has a good purpose in mind when that counsel is scripturally based and scripturally delivered. And Peter, if he were able to speak to us tonight, I'm sure would say something like this. The time was when I thought I knew myself really well when I thought I knew better than the Lord Jesus knew me. But I've come to a very different opinion. And I realize now that he is indeed not only the mighty God of Isaiah 9, but he is also the all-wise counselor who directs his word to me because... He desires my utmost and my highest good. And I am to take, Peter would say, his prohibitions as seriously as I take his positive command. 
hearts. My dear friend, is that a lesson that you've learned this evening? Not to put your hands over the Bible, but to say, Lord, I need this word, whether it comes through my wife or my husband or my children or the oversight of this church or a fellow member. Lord, I need your prohibitions as much as I need your positive promises. And the second thing I'm sure that Peter would say to us is this. I've learned that sincerity is no substitute for obedience. Because I think that Peter had been saying to himself, well, I know my own heart, I am well-intentioned, and he was. And nothing else matters but that. I mean well. And so often we justify ourselves, don't we, on the basis of sincerity. We're burning in zeal. We want to spread the word. We want everybody to be where we are spiritually. But they're not. And you see, sincerity is no substitute for obedience. It's not an adequate test for our loyalty to the Lord Jesus. Peter had his fill of sincerity his fill of good intentions, and look what a mess he made of it. And the truth is, sincerity, biblically understood, is only valid when it's lived out in a willingness to obey the Lord Jesus Christ. And it loses its virtue if it violates a known command of his. Do not follow me, Jesus had said. Follow me later. But Peter says, no, I will follow you now. And thirdly, Peter would say to us, the Lord Jesus is very patient and very persevering. I'm reminded as I finish this evening of an incident in the life of Brownlow North. He was a well-known evangelist and preacher of the gospel in Scotland in the 19th century and the Banner of Truth, as some of you recognize, have republished one or more of Brownlow North's books. And there was an incident when he was preaching from a pulpit in Aberdeen and before he got there in the vestry, before the service, a letter was handed to him. He opened it and read it. And inside there was an account by someone who had known him in his wild youth of an incident that had brought great shame upon him and upon his family. And the letter went on to say, If you so much as dare to enter that pulpit this evening, then I will rise up in the congregation and make known that incident to everyone who is present. And what Brownlow North did was this. He took that letter into the pulpit that evening. He opened it and he read it in full. And he said to the congregation, every single thing that this man says of me is true. It really happened. It was disgraceful. But what I want to tell you this evening is that Christ has forgiven me. He made me a new creation in Christ Jesus. And all of this by his grace is past history now. And he went on to preach powerfully the gospel of God's grace. And so I believe Peter would say to us this evening, 
But there's something much bigger and more important and much greater than my sin on that dark evening of my life. He came after me. He sought me. He appeared to me. He took those broken shards of my life and he made me into a vessel again that was fit for the master's use. He made me into the rock-like man that he had destined me to be. Not Simon, but Peter. And so, my dear friends, this evening, to be forewarned is not necessarily to be forearmed. And may we, each one of us, learn from this incident this evening, from our past, from our character, from what the word of God is saying to us all tonight, so that just as the Lord Jesus was able to take this man in his brokenness and in his humility and make him into something wonderfully new, may he take us all and make us into the men and women that he is destining us to be. And so may he fulfill in the lives of each one the glorious and original purpose that he has purposed in his calling of us. For his great name's sake, amen.